So hi, this is Angela Treat Lyon, and you are listening to Daring Dreamers Radio, broadcast all the way from beautiful Hawaii. And you can find us at idareyouradio.com. We bring you massive inspiration, powerful support, and uncommon resources for you daring dreamers so you can dream it, dare it, and do it. Today's sponsor is EFTbooks.com. Go learn about the emotional freedom techniques which will set you free. EFTbooks.com. And today I have a very old friend of mine that I'm absolutely delighted to introduce you to. Her name is Natalie Kelly, and she has quite a history. She started out as a doula. And then she served for years as a board-certified hypnotherapist with a busy practice in a medical office. And suddenly, a sailing accident left her with a monumental traumatic brain injury, and her whole world turned upside down and sideways. She thought she knew a lot about the mind's power to heal the body, but everything she knew about healing and about life was absolutely put to the ultimate test because of this brain injury. She had to discover a completely new way to navigate life, and she found that leading with her heart and not her head was the answer. And wait until you hear what it took to get to that place of understanding. I mean, what she's gone through is just amazing. And now, several years down the line, she's passionate about helping those with brain injuries. And she's now known as the Traumatic Brain Injury Coach. Check out her free YouTube channel, The TBI Coach. And she has support groups and classes for those people with traumatic brain injuries, otherwise known as TBI. So, Natalie, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here today. And I'm going to ask you a very important question. Are you ready? I'm ready, and I'm so happy to be here with you today, Angela. All right. (laughs) Now, you say you focus on writing and speaking in your commitment to helping others find the courage to live the most authentic and compassionate lives possible. I'm really curious as to how you do that. What's one critical tip that we can start off with right now? Hmm. Well, one of the things that I've learned after going through this incredible experience of surviving a brain injury is really about loving myself and how important that is and being myself without filtering it through the eyes of what everybody else was thinking. So many of us go through life being who we think others want us to be. And I would certainly say that was my primary motivation before the accident of just trying to be perfect all the time. And when you live with a traumatic brain injury, there's just no way to be perfect anymore. You are so perfectly imperfect in every way. When every time you turn around, you drop something and break it, you can't remember anything. Uh, There's just so many indignities that I was living with constantly you know, I couldn't read and I got called on by my child's teacher in school at a parent meeting to read the math problem on the board. And I had to say, I can't read in front of all the other parents. And then the teacher read it for me and I had to say, I don't understand numbers. That kind of thing is just so embarrassing and it brings up the shame that we all carry inside. And I really 
developed a different relationship with shame and learned that living with dignity is really about us learning to love ourselves more than we care about what anybody else thinks. Wow. And that's what it takes to courageously live an authentic life, is to really love ourselves so deeply that that is the only thing that really matters. Well, I, I want to get back to that yeah. and, and how to do that. But first, let's tell people how this all came about. What exactly happened? How did you get injured in the first place? And what happened when you went to doctors afterwards? <laughs> oh, that is quite a story. And one of the reasons I love telling my story is that it's such a common story with traumatic brain injury. And it's a huge problem in our society. So what happened for me is that I was taking a sailing lesson. It was my very first sailing lesson. A massive storm came up with 35 mile an hour winds on Lake Champlain. And I was in a small dinghy with my fiance at the time. And um, we eventually capsized the boat, but it was torrential storms. And every time I tried to right the boat, uh, the boat would flip right back over. And the third time I tried to right the boat, it flipped over with me inside of it. In about a tenth of a second, it happened so fast that it twisted and sheared my brain. And then the boat fell on my head and knocked me on the head. Um, I spit out my front tooth and was bleeding all over and could do nothing else but just bob in the waves for the next half hour, 40 minutes until the Coast Guard came and rescued us. So that's what happened to me. And I had no idea I had a traumatic brain injury. I don't even think I really knew what that was. I knew I had knocked out my tooth and I had bruises all over my body and a huge laceration in my arm. And what's so tricky about a traumatic brain injury is it doesn't show on the outside. You can't see it. And quite often, it doesn't even show symptoms until a few days later when the brain starts to swell and things get worse and worse. So I felt like I was still on the boat for days afterwards. I thought I was just emotionally shook up. And because I understand this mind-body connection, I figured it was just emotional and I was tapping and doing the things I knew to do. But the dizziness was just getting horrific. I felt like I was so drunk. I had drank three six packs. I developed extreme light sensitivity to the point where even in a dark room, I had to cover my eyes with my hands because it felt like the light rays were just stabbing my eyes. And I lay there for days. And then I went to my doctor who said, oh, you have a concussion. Take a few days and just rest. Don't do anything. Well, I couldn't do anything. <laughs> I <laughs> Yeah, I don't have I a choice. Stand, I couldn't stand up. I couldn't think straight. I couldn't put two sentences together. So I laid there and, and months went by and I wasn't getting better. I was getting worse. And I went back to my doctor who looked at me alarmed, said, I don't know what to say, and was about to set me home when I insisted upon seeing a neurologist. So this is the part that's very typical. He said, well, a neurologist won't help. And I didn't believe him at the time. I do now. But I didn't believe him at the time. And I didn't know what else to do. So I insisted I got into a neurologist. And the neurologist looked at me for five minutes and said, oh, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with your brain. Now, this is four months later, mind you. But you do have an anxiety problem. And that's why you can only think of six things that start with the letter F in one minute. And I'm looking at him and I couldn't 
articulate or think at that moment, but I'm thinking, well, you would be anxious too if the floor was undulating and you felt like you drank three six packs and you couldn't understand what people were saying and you couldn't read. And okay, I have an anxiety problem. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was completely confused, went home, went, okay, I got to do some more tapping. And it continued to go that way. And this is really typical. I went to three or four neurologists, most of whom looked at me. They looked at my MRI and my CAT scan. And because nothing usually shows up on those, because they're such microscopic little breaks, I mean, it's the electric current between the axons that is not working anymore. It's, it's, it doesn't show up on an MRI. So... So I finally went to somebody in San Francisco and I went all the way to Stanford and was completely shocked to hear the neurologist in San Francisco, who I thought would know more, looked at my MRI and he said, it doesn't make sense for somebody who has nothing on the MRI to have this extent of damage. Have you seen a psychiatrist? And I heard this over and over and over, and it's what we all hear with TBIs. And now I hear the story over and over and over. And so, I, of course, I, I thought I was crazy and losing my mind. I, was, I didn't know what was going on. And this was, this was three years later. I still couldn't function at all. Let's, let's interject something here. You're yeah. also a mother. I'm a mother. I'm a single mother. So how did you deal with having a kid at this point? I mean, thank goodness he's a teenager, right? He's a teenager, and what happened to me is I lost the ability to drive because my visual functioning was so messed up and still is. I didn't know it at the time, but I was seeing one and a half of everything, and, if, and everything was bouncing visually, so walking was so hard and nauseating, and it would tax me so much I could walk or drive 10 minutes with help and then have to sleep for three hours. So I couldn't drive, and um, I have no idea how I took care of my child. I know a lot of beautiful community members showed up and started taking care of me and my son. But what was so hard for me was I couldn't get him to his appointments. Like I could take the SSTA van to mine, but I couldn't get him to his appointments. There was no way to get him to the orthodontist. And miracles started happening. I can't even explain to you. I would be sitting there completely confused. I don't know how to get him to his doctor appointment. And somebody would call. And I'd be crying and they'd run right over. So it was really the grace of God and all the angels that showed up that got us through that time. I, I, I know your email newsletter that you send out now and then. You, you'd always talk about your miracles. You've had so many of them. It's just been so miraculous. <laughs> I'm kind of living a surreal reality at this point. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, it seems like the more you give up trying to be this perfect Natalie, the more miracles come. That's exactly right. And there's more I want to say about this, but it's really because I was sitting in stillness for so long and having to learn how to just be and embrace my imperfection and be vulnerable, that I think in that vulnerability, people showed up. And it was exactly the opposite of all of my previous training or desire in life. Who wants to be vulnerable, right? Yeah, yeah. 
I was usually usually it's like I, I have this plan and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and and I'm going to call somebody for help or I'm going to call somebody to do this and this but not you you had to just I mean it, no really, control let, let's really accentuate or not accentuate let's really be explicit about how helpless you were because you've told me that you were at the point where even moving your eyes made you sick. So you literally had to be flat in your bed and motionless for hours. Yes, my eyes operate independently of each other and I'm still working on that. It's been six years. So I still feel like I have a flu every single morning when I wake up and can't use my eyes until about noon. It's taken a lot of work and effort to get the functioning back that I've got. And it truly was a lot of sitting in stillness and making the efforts and just entering a complete state of stillness and being because I couldn't move and there was nowhere to go and nothing to do except allow all the waves of <laughs> terror <laughs> rise up inside me and face them and these were fears I had had my whole life and never had to face before in that depth fears about am I lovable am I worth anything am I am I am I valuable on the planet um, will I be alone my whole life will I be homeless I mean just really allowing the depth of the fears we all live with to kind of bubble to the surface. Really fundamental questions. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And sitting with those long enough, I believe has really transformed me and I'm not scared of anything anymore. <laughs> Watch out what you say. <laughs> so, so you couldn't even cry. And I don't want to be tested. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've had enough testing. So, yeah. But you, you couldn't even cry. I could cry, and I did cry. I mean, while you were lying there with, with, without your eyes able to move, could you still have the emotions come up and, and cry and emote that way? Or could, could. did you have to I absolutely be one of the odd things about having a brain injury is it affects your personality and affects your relationship with your thoughts and your feelings and all the things that you think are your identity are stripped from you. So it was fascinating actually to just watch what happens when the brain goes offline and be left with this question of, well, who am I really? Who am I anyway? I have no sense of humor left, and that's always been important to me, just like to you. I had very few thoughts, and I couldn't consciously choose my thoughts, and that had always been very important to me. And I didn't have access to any feelings of love inside of me. It was like everything was just blank. Empty. Empty. And I had thought that those things that I had worked on so hard were, were me. And it really left me kind of thinking, well, are we just this mechanical brain? Right? Like, <laughs> this are we tube. Just a machine? <laughs> <laughs> so what would, what, would, what would your answer to that be now? 
My answer would be absolutely not. And what I have come to understand, because I'm a very spiritual person, that was the crux of my, my confusion about that, is are we really just a machine? And I actually now believe that we are so much more, we are vast beings that are so much faster than we could ever imagine. And we are one mind on this planet and we are all connected. And what our brains are is simply the radio. And it's like the radio is picking up on the signals, but the radio is not the message. The radio is simply the transmitter that is allowing that message to come through or not come through. And that's what I currently believe. Well, that it sure corroborates what, what I've felt my whole life as, as an artist. I have felt like just a tube through which oh. images come and they shoot out my fingertips. And you are so good at, at allowing those images to come through your fingertips. <laughs> <laughs> You're so prolific and amazing in your art. Oh, thank you. If you could only see the magnificence of them in here, you wouldn't say that. <laughs> compared, you know, like what I do is compared to what's in there is like, oh my God, she's still in kindergarten. <laughs> and, and you know, it's so interesting that you say that because I actually do have an experience of myself now as being that tube. I am that tube and we all are that tube that connects heaven and earth. And that's my new reality. And I became in that injured brain state what we call with, I've discovered that dolphins are what we call electrosensing. So dolphins through their whiskers sense the electrical fields of other beings and they feel the electricity. And I have felt that with my injured brain and still I'm very sensitive to the energy and I don't want to make it sound woo-woo, but the um, like I could just feel energy in a way that I could never feel before because everything else was offline and I became an electrosensing being. And Jill Bolte-Taylor talks about this a lot when she had her stroke, the author of My Stroke of Insight, that when she was in that hospital with a stroke, all she could be aware of was the energy that people were bringing into the room. And she has asked us all, and I totally concur, to be responsible for the energy that we are in the world because it makes a huge difference. We are electric beings. And when somebody walks into a room and they're angry or they're happy, it's contagious, right? We all feel it, whether we are aware of it or not. But particularly with a brain injury, you end up feeling people's energy and if people were in a space of taking from me, I couldn't be around them. It, I had so little energy that I could feel my energy being sucked by some people and I just needed to leave or ask them to leave. And if people were able to be very present and still with me, those people felt nurturing and wonderful to be around. I could feel the energy of the food. Uh, all my food was either alive or dead is what it appeared to be. I could feel what felt good to my body and nutritious and the dead stuff. I didn't want anything to do with it. I could feel the electricity of the, what I learned is dirty electricity in the house. I learned so much about electricity because we are electrical beings and I became sensitive to electricity and actually then had to have my house corrected because the electricity running through my house was what they called dirty electricity. I had no idea, but it was scrambling up my brain. 
And I could feel it on a cell phone. I could feel it on a computer. I couldn't be on a phone or a computer for more than 10 minutes because the electricity was affecting my ability to function. And then when I would lay down at night, if I had done those things, it felt like electric buzzing currents were just zipping through my body and I couldn't sleep because I was so full of this static. And one of the things I think we all need to learn about is how to ground that static. And one of the cool things I've learned is about what we call earthing. You can go to earthing.com. And earthing is our ability to discharge that electricity by having our skin be in contact with the earth. And native people wore leather shoes. So that doesn't block the electricity from going back and forth between us and the earth. But in our modern world, when we're walking on asphalt, concrete, and wearing rubber shoes, the electricity is no longer passing anymore. So what we're doing is we're building up static because we're electric beings. And there's no way of discharging that in a natural way. And earthing is a great way to do that. Even if you just walk on your floor, that's not enough? I mean, with bare feet. Mm. No, I'm not sure. I know that concrete and asphalt stop the flow of the electricity. And that probably it depends on what the floor is made out of. Our houses, I believe, are probably on a concrete foundation. Yeah, yeah, most of them are. So that might interfere with that. Yeah. But I know how much more I was able to function if I put my bare feet on the earth and suddenly I could, I could like, it was bizarre. I, I, I discovered this when I showed my kids. I had a very hard time walking and I would walk on concrete very stiff and awkward and with so much effort. And as soon as I hit the grass, my body would relax and I could walk comfortably. And it was so fascinating. And I really, that's kind of what prompted me to start learning this and figuring it out. And we all need to be doing this. We're like, uh, you know, in our electronics, we, we create static. In our house, the house is always grounded. So we need to ground ourselves by plugging ourselves into the earth. Could you bring a box of dirt in the house and do, and do it that way? <laughs> like, in the, <laughs> like in the wintertime, you don't want to go out and stand barefoot in the snow. Oh, I, tr I tried for a while, and that really, w that was painful. Um, <laughs> What you could do is you could hug a tree, which is what I did a lot of, mm. and borrow the tree's grounding cord. But I believe it's that the earth is negatively charged and our bodies are positively charged. And if we don't connect with a negative charge, we're just going to be building static. Wow. So, which of course makes everything in your head bizarrely worse. Exactly. Is this, is this normal for all TBI sufferers or is it just <laughs> your weirdness or what? <laughs> well, I have a lot of weirdness in that area. I always have. Um, I haven't determined that yet. I can tell you that most all TBI sufferers that I've talked to love being barefoot. And part of that could be because we have such a hard time understanding where our bodies are in space and we get more input from walking barefoot. And I don't know the answer to that, but I do know after reading the earthing books that it has been proven medically to help a lot of medical issues to be earthed. Wow. 
Wow, this is fascinating. So, yeah. you know, you're really committed to helping other people. You know, you've got your YouTube channel where you talk about your brain injury and, and the things that are happening. Let's, let's talk about some of the things that are common across the board for TBI people. Uh-huh. You know, like you were talking about how so many doctors know zip about this and you were told that you were crazy or had to go to see a shrink. What other things are common for TBI people and what are the things that you have personally done that have really helped you like your jacket? Mm. The one of the real challenges that we as a society are having around brain injury is that every single brain injury is different. And it makes it really hard to understand and it makes it really hard to treat because our brains run every single part of our body and it could affect your hormones. It could affect your heart rate. It could affect your digestion. It could affect your cognitive abilities. It could affect your balance. It, every single one is very different, but there are common threads that are typical that run through most of them. And for most brain injuries, people suffer from memory issues. And when I say memory issues, I don't mean like everybody else goes, oh, yeah, I got that too. My memory was so bad. First of all, in the beginning of my accident, I would try to do one thing a day. And that one thing might be make one phone call. And I could call one doctor and make an appointment. Now, when I called that doctor to make an appointment, I would hang up and try to write it down and I'd forgot it. So I would have to call the doctor again, and they would tell me again, and then I would write down the doctor's name, and I couldn't remember the rest, and I'd have to call the doctor again, write down the date, couldn't remember the time, call the doctor again, get yelled at, start crying because I felt so hopeless. And I'm talking about those kind of memory issues, where there is no short-term memory or ability to hold anything for any amount of time. Boy, that is extreme. And, and people on the other end probably thought you were crazy because who is this woman? She can't even remember her appointment. What, what's going on here? And that's where the dignity piece really got stirred up. Yeah, yeah. Every part of my life was humiliating. And it is for everybody with a brain injury, I think, because on the outside you can't tell. So besides memory issues to that extent... The things that people with traumatic brain injuries have often a hard time with is dizziness. I have constant dizziness. Um, Balance, cognitive function, meaning the ability to concentrate or focus. Quite often there's aphasia, which is the inability to find words, which I had and still have often, or the ability to understand words is a different form of it. And Basically, it's like all the connections in your brain. You know there's a road between here and there, but you just can't find it. Headaches are extremely painful and common after traumatic brain injury. And just a host of other issues. I forget them because I... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I forgot. forgot. So many things. And it's hard to articulate because... It's sort of like, you know, I always picture it like my brain used to work like this ball of yarn that was nice and neat. And now it's like somebody took the ball of yarn and scrambled it all up. And people are saying, well, what's the issue? And I'm going, uh, like the entire consciousness has changed. And one of the things that's also really common is the feeling like you're not you anymore. 
And honestly, that is the most painful, incredibly painful part. Is the feeling like you're gone and you can't even find yourself. And that's the part of TBI where those of us with brain issues start actually being envious of somebody with cancer or other things because it's like at least those people could still be them and could still have a life and function and have a conversation. And one of the things that happens with brain injury is everything becomes so overstimulating that we get isolated. That for me to go out in a crowd, I mean, it's taken years and I still don't do it because what it'll do is it'll fry my brain so badly it'll take me hours of recovery. So I've really just had to learn how to live with what I've got and how to focus on what I can do rather than what I can't do. Well, you say you say you lost your feeling of being you. Now, th- would this be the you that you used to think you were? Or is this the you who has experienced yourself in the stillness? It's sort of like you're on an LSD trip. And you can't come down and you can't get out of it. So when you're on, yeah, no kidding, right? It's just, you do want to shoot yourself at some point. And when you're on an LSD trip, do you feel like you? Can you find you? Well, now people are going to find out I used to take acid. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, darn. I did it once. I hated it. So this is not my idea of a good time. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. It was pure awareness for me. I I didn't care about the me, everyday me. What I cared about was my experience of of seeing, oh, that looks so cool. And wow, look at that. Look at how it's put together. I mean, we used to take acid and and look at our pottery. And we could see right down into the cellular level of it. It's, oh, that's how that works. (laughs) Well, and actually, that's actually kind of true. So that's like what I was talking about, about suddenly feeling the electricity seeing the cells in the pottery. I don't think I ever saw yeah, cells. Yeah, so it was more visual than, than electric. Huh. That's interesting. Well, I don't think it was visual for me. My vision was pretty messed up and distorted. But it was more like a hall of mirrors visually. One of the things, you know, it's a really good question that you're asking. It's like, well, what is the real us? What is the core of us? And I do have to say that I had the experience of all the layers of identity being stripped away. My ability to walk was stripped away. My ability to communicate was stripped away. My ability to drive my car, my independence was stripped away. My spouse disappeared and was stripped away. My career was stripped away. And when you go through all of these losses that we have in life and it's all stripped away, what is left? And I do feel like underneath all of that, I have gotten in touch with a core of being that I was not so deeply in touch with or aware of when I had all that busyness and distraction. There has been a very profound core of just beingness. And who are we at the core of that? But we are pure light and love, like a baby, you know, when we're born. 
you look at that baby and it doesn't have a career and a <laughs> house and all the things you think and are children and books and <laughs> all the identity entrapments. It's just pure love. Yeah. And light. And yet it's isn't it interesting because you look at this child in your this newborn in your arms and it, it does have it's not even a personality yet. It's just a flavor. Yes. An essence. Yeah. And so that's really, this is what I believe anyway, that, that we are in essence a flavor walking around in this tube doing what we're doing. And it's really that simple. Yes. It's really that simple. And we sure make it complicated with our busy minds. Oh, but it's fun. <laughs> It's entertaining. <laughs> well, dang, if you could think it's entertaining, you are have a pretty evolved mind. Most people think that what's happening in their life is real and significant. And they're at the effect of it, not Effective. watching it as entertainment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, now, this comes to something else. You know, I know you as, as a old-time friend, and I know that you love to contribute. How has this whole thing affected you in your desire to contribute? And all along, you and I have been talking about how are you, how are you going to come through this, and how are you going to do things for other people, even though you're in the middle of such terrible suffering? Yeah. I have to say one of the gifts that came out of this is breaking up my compulsion to need to contribute because that's where I got my identity and my value in life. This was identifying my value as what I was contributing. And those of us who are healers and teachers, we're not that good at receiving, right? We just feel like <laughs> we always have to contribute. Yeah. <laughs> so breaking up my limitations, my self-imposed limitations on how much I could receive felt like it busted up some big walls. And I ultimately had to say, well, if this is an unconditionally loving universe, which I choose to believe it is, and kind universe, then the only thing between me and having what I want was my ability to receive it and how much I'm willing to let in and allow. So if I could bust up and if we could all bust up our limitations on what we think is okay to receive, as uncomfortable as that is, that's a huge key to having what we want in life. So there I was laying on a couch and people were taking care of me, feeding me every meal, taking care of my son, scrubbing my toilets, for God's sakes. I mean, and I would think, okay, at least I can be a contribution to them and ask them how they are and ask them about their lives. And I realized that I couldn't understand their answer and it would exhaust me to try. So I had to even stop saying, how are you? I couldn't even contribute to how are you. And it really has, you know, it's still hard to receive, but I do think that expanding that ability to receive and less compulsion to contribute was really great for me. So now, now, you're, contributing. <laughs> <laughs> now you're contributing by receiving. Yeah, I guess so. And it's less of a compulsion. Like I don't, feel like I'm not a valuable person if I'm not contributing. I don't think that we have to be doing in the world 
as much as we think we have to be doing. Like maybe just our being and our being ourselves and our being our essence is a contribution in and of itself. But Natalie, that's not enough. You need a website and you need to work and you need a job and you need to talk to people and go on stage and be a coach. <laughs> well, but only if those things are fun. Only if those things are fun and valuable to me. And that's the difference. And as they before, are. Whereas before, it would have been just work. It would have been work and it would have been an obligation and it would have been, this is what I need to do because I'm here to be a contribution to the world and my beingness is not enough of a contribution. But I think what I've realized is that our society values our doingness. Like, you know, what's your job and how much money do you make is how we're measured. Yeah, you're a human doing. We're a human doing and it's really time to shift out of that <laughs> paradigm and go, wow, the energy we bring to the party is maybe the biggest contribution that we are. Oh, repeat that. That's really important. Oh, can you? Can you remember? <laughs> <laughs> And I've done my neurofeedback a lot of times. I can remember this. The energy that we are bringing to this party called planet Earth is perhaps our most valuable contribution. We are a unique essence, and there is nobody else like us on the planet. And we need to stop trying to be everybody else and just start being us. And that usness is magnificent and huge and there's nothing else we need to do but who's going to do the dishes i don't know break the dishes the dishes throw them away all that stuff just ain't so important anymore <laughs> it's such a funny image <laughs> you in the kitchen going dishes you know when there's nothing to eat on i might really feel motivated to do some dishes <laughs> because it feels good to have something to eat on but it's not out of not out right of obligation or i have to or yeah whatever you know yeah awesome. it, it, this is this is so deep it's really incredible incredible hmm. thank you for sharing this with us you're so welcome Oh, was it yesterday we were talking? <laughs> was it the day before? Anyway, we were talking earlier and you were talking about this feeling of not being in your body and other people or other consciousnesses being in there with you. Mm, Let's yeah. talk about that because you said that that's pretty common for people with TBI, didn't you? What's very common is I hear over and over and over is I don't feel like I'm living my life anymore. I feel like I left and somebody else is running the show. I feel like somebody else is in there and it's not me and I don't know where I went. And when I started hearing this over and over, I got really curious because of my career background. I knew a lot about trauma and I know that what happens during trauma, and there's nothing that I can think of that's more traumatic than a traumatic brain injury, is that on a shamanic perspective, our spirit leaves, or a part of our spirit leaves. And they call this soul loss. So our soul says, I'm out of here. This is too intense. 
I don't want to be here. I am out of here. I don't know where it goes, but it goes somewhere else. So then we're walking around with what they call soul loss, which means that, you know, maybe there's a, a small percentage of us running our bodies, but the rest of us were, we went somewhere else that felt safer. And I was working with a doctor who was a cranial osteopath and also a spiritual teacher. And I swore at one point I told her my book was going to be called Conversations with Gail because I would lay on her table every week and she would share this information with me. And one day she said to me, well, Natalie, if you're not running your body, who is? And she started talking to me about entities. I know that stirs up a lot of fear and a lot of feelings for people. But what she said is there's a lot of spirits that are floating around in this world. And what they all want is a body. Because when you can master the physical world, you trump everything else. Boy, that is like the trump if you have a body. So if you're not in your body, somebody else is going to move in. And it's sort of like when there's a house for sale in the neighborhood and it's empty for a while, ghosts move in. And so I thought about this and it kind of scared me and freaked me out a little bit. <laughs> I was like, hmm. And I went home and thought about what she had said. And after a little while, I don't know how much later it was, I got so tired of being dizzy. I got so sick of it. I got pissed. And I went out on my front porch. I don't know why, but I went outside and I started yelling. And I said, if there's any other being in my body right now, whatever our agreement is, in whatever lifetime I made it, whatever chords or agreements we made, it is over, it's done, get out right now, it's my body and I'm taking it back and you can't have it and you can't be here, <laughs> out right now. And I swear to God, Angela, if it wasn't the craziest thing, in three minutes, the dizziness went away. And I walked in the house and suddenly I could function and I wasn't dizzy. And I went, oh my God, what is really going on here? This is really interesting. So I just started wondering if when I heard this over and over from people with traumatic brain injury that I don't feel like me, I feel like I'm gone. You know, it's, it's another level to look at of what's really going on. And even beyond traumatic brain injury, for all of us to go, how much of other people's consciousness and energy am I running in my body? I Lots. want it gone. And even if it's like Jesus's energy, it's not yours. And we only need to run ours, right? <laughs> We're here to run ours and ours only because that is our unique imprint. So I started every night asking that any energy I'd picked up at the day that was not 100% me to leave. Go back to your owner, go away, thank you very much. And any part of my energy that I've left somewhere else, please come back because I, I need all the resources I can have and all the energy I can have and come back so I can be 100% my being in the world. And what kind of difference did that make for you? Well, I have to say the dizziness came back. So it wasn't lasting, but the difference that that made was profound. And that was actually one of the huge turning points in my healing, where I felt like at that point my healing could begin because I had reclaimed 
my body mm. and my control and my power. And that's, and that's when the healing started happening. Wow. That's and it's something we can wow. all do. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so <laughs> profound. <laughs> well, now you tried this therapy and that tactic and this tool and the other technique. But one thing that's made a big difference for you has been this jacket that you've been wearing. Tell us about the jacket. I wear a balanced weighted torso vest. The website for it is motiontherapeutics.com. I was referred to it by first my physical therapist in rehab, where after four years of brain injury rehab, she said I had the most persistent case of dizziness she had ever seen in the state of Vermont, and she had nothing further to offer me. And this was after four years of therapy when I tried to turn my head and I fell over and got sick and had to lie down. So I was pretty much in despair. And she said, well, there's this jacket out there. It's the only thing I can think of. Well, in this funny way that my life has become a walking miracle, I was taken to this doctor in San Francisco for my vision, Dr. Lori Chaikin, who was incredibly helpful. And I asked her what she thought of this jacket. And she said, oh, one of my dear friends invented it. And she picks up the phone right then and there and calls her friend, Cindy, and says, can you come right over? And Cindy came over. And what this jacket is, is it is phenomenal for anybody with balance issues or dizziness. Because it's, you have to go to a therapist that's specifically um, trained in it because it's, very, it's custom made for you. And it has weights inside of it that are Velcroed on very specific places and very specific amounts. And they let my body, they send a subtle signal to the brain that lets the body know where it is in space. And it actually has even measurably corrected my vision, which is astounding because it's the, I know, I, I couldn't believe it. I said, I don't believe this. And so I went back to the vision doctor and all three of us together sat down, measured the vision, which was off the charts, the worst case she had ever seen before, was now so much better and on all measures. And I'm not talking about 2020 kind of vision. I'm talking about my brain's ability to understand and process what I was seeing. But the visual system is connected to the vestibular system. And all of that is connected. And you can address it either with the eye exercises like I had been trying for four years or by the vestibular system, which this vest has done for me. And we can address it from either side of that equation because it's all we're all one connection it's all one system that's just amazing and this jacket has made a huge difference for you i mean how long have you had it now six months a year i haven't had it for exactly a year and when i got the jacket i stopped using the walking poles that i was using i used to walk with these white tipped poles like a blind person would have but i had two of them and because of the jacket i no longer need them um I used to use the poles like I would, uh, like an antenna, you know, like an insect would use its antennas to feel where giant, I am. Giant cockroach. <laughs> that was me, giant sunglass wearing cockroach. But the, but the jacket has allowed me to function without that, and that's just great. That's amazing. Yeah, and there's wow. been so many things I've learned like this, so many tools that are, can be helpful to people. 
So now you're doing your service as a coach for people who have TBI. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. And I feel so inspired by all that I've gone through. And I tell you, people with brain injuries, we need so much help. And there's so little real help out there and so little real resources out there. And I just, it breaks my heart because I know what it's like. And it gives meaning to what I've gone through to be able to turn around and help others. Yeah. yeah. And I do believe that when we suffer in life, that we need to make meaning of it. Or what was the whole point? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I went through that for what? <laughs> I know. Like, I really want to feel like there was some value out of it. And that was the value I, I could find. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to finish the sentence about what I would recommend for people to do. Good. Okay. So what I would recommend if somebody I loved had a traumatic brain injury or I had a traumatic brain injury and I was just new to this path is to go to the experts and who I say the experts are, are those people who have traumatic brain injuries who've been doing this for 20 years, 30 years. They are the ones who have really figured out what works and what doesn't work. And so I have found the support groups to be immeasurably helpful to actually learn from other people. How do you live like this? And I actually would also go to the states, whatever state you're in has a brain injury. Um, oh God, what do you call it? A brain injury association. <laughs> <laughs> go to your state's brain injury association and be proactive and call them and find out who are the doctors in your area that are actually knowledgeable and helpful. Because most doctors that you just step into the door, they don't get it. They don't know anything. And furthermore, what I have finally figured out is they were all trained. Most of these guys, most of them are men that were 60-year-old men, and they were trained in the era where we were told brains were not healable. And in the last 10 years, Something has been popular and discovered, which is neuroplasticity, which means that our brains are constantly evolving and changing according to the input that we give them, and that there is always hope of improving our brains. And this is so brand new, and it's so unknown in the medical field, and it's so not what our doctors were taught, that we need to find the doctors who get it and who, who understand that. Yeah. Now, what about, what about, this is a, a big subject I know, but what about kids who are in impact sports and they get a concussion or a brain injury and their parents are saying, oh, it's nothing. You can go back to school in three days. And how come you're acting so weird? And God, you've got another headache again. Yeah. I, I mean, what about the family and the peers and teachers who don't understand what's going on? Is, is there support for them too? I would probably say the same thing and go to the brain injury association in your state or start researching it because there's becoming more and more information available online. And it's really, we're at the renaissance of this dark age of concussion. And we are just starting to understand what it is. And I admit, I mean, it breaks my heart to think I actually was one of those parents. I didn't know anything about concussions. I just figured you have a bump on the head, you get better. 
my child had three concussions when he was little and he has a really hard time functioning. And I didn't notice. He went off the handlebars on his bike. His face was all poofed up, black and blue. He went unconscious. I took him to the emergency room. They said, oh, just let him rest. Same information I got. He'll be fine in three days. And it's only because my mother was visiting that she noticed three weeks later that he wasn't functioning. He was forgetting his homework everywhere. He was sleepy all the time. He just was out of it. And I had no idea. It was not in my awareness. So it's totally possible to have a brain injury and never even know it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I wonder how many of us are walking around like that. And in fact, if you look at the statistics, in the people in jail, I have heard something up to like 60%, 70% of people who are incarcerated have traumatic brain injuries, as well as homeless people. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Wow. And when you start understanding it at that level, my hope and desire is that we can have a bit more compassion. Yeah. You know, these people may be doing their best. They may need some neurofeedback. And insurance doesn't pay for that. So what, what can we do? We really need to change the system here. <sighs> well, okay. So... What is one critical tip that we can end our play together today? Well, I would say one of the most beautiful things that I have learned through this entire experience is that the conversation we are having with ourselves inside of our head actually is creating new neuropathways in our brains. That when our brains are plastic, it's, it's immediate and it's continual and that the conversation we're having in ourselves is the most important thing that we have going on. And if we make I love you the most important thing we say to ourselves, it will shift our reality, shift the way the world sees us and we see ourselves. And what you get back from life is love and miracles. So I think what I want to invite everybody to do right now is to just take a deep breath or give yourself a deep breath and just breathe that love into your heart and say, I love you to your heart and say, I love you to your brain and make that your new practice in life. That is so sweet. <laughs> I really love that. That's beautiful. Thank you. Love heals all. Yeah, we really can change our lives. Yeah. Well, watching you, I'm, I'm convinced. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you, Angela. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, Natalie, it's been such a pleasure to have you on my show today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been so much fun. You're so the best. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> so what do we do? Do we, do we look for Natalie Kelly on YouTube or traumatic brain injury? How do yeah, we find Go to YouTube and go to the TBI coach is the name of my channel or go to my website, the TBI coach.com where if you sign up your email, you will get my videos each and every Friday when they come out 
And these videos are about understanding traumatic brain injury and how to optimize our brain function and how to cope with brain issues. So I think they're going to be super informational and educational for everybody. And I'm really excited to make them available. Awesome. Thank you. Yay. All right. So thank you so much again. And everybody, I hope you've enjoyed today's show. This has been Angela Treat Lyon on Daring Dreamers Radio at idareyouradio.com. And I implore you, please, to be audacious, bodacious, outrageous, and bold and as alive as you can possibly be. And I'll see you on the next show.